So in Genesis, we, we see, of course, uh, you know, and as we've been taught, there was an angelic conflict before God had ever created uh, Adam and created the human race. He had created a host of angels, and of course there was, a, there was rebellion there, and there was, a, there was a, a conflict in the heavens. And as in part of what God had, and I think it's very interesting when we consider, and I've never thought of it this way till now, but when I consider the fact that in Revelations uh, 13, in verse 8, where it says that Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Uh, you, and you have to believe that, of course, that Lamb was and is the Son of God, and He put on humanity and in His person and in the work that He accomplished in the unifying of the, the Son of God uh, in deity, something that He is always and then be, and putting on humanity, becoming the son of man, again, through, through uh, his person and work that he accomplished. When we think about it, I mean, <laughs> did God have man in his mind? In one sense, uh, uh, just above, I don't know, above all creation, <laughs> it would seem, is, uh, is just... You know, just as much as that's surpassing our knowledge and our even our thought to think that he was the lamb, and that, of course, I mean, that would, you know, for him to be sacrificed, he had to put on humanity. <laughs> so he, it's, even before there's an angelic conflict, and and uh, yeah, I, even before there's there's this uh, creation of a host of angels, there's, there's man and God's thinking. But of course, never outside of Christ. Obviously, uh, he never thought of a, as a matter of fact, God's only thought is Christ, obviously, and he never even thought of a creation outside of him, a, a, a true creation, and, and that's why we don't have a proper identity or, or you know, um, a, a proper image without him. But we see the fall, you know, and of course we, we see the fall of mankind in Genesis, the third chapter. And, you know, as a result of uh, uh, giving in, you know, giving the will over uh, to the enemy in known disobedience. Uh, <laughs> it's just so incredible when, when, when we think about it, you know, when we have the opportunity to think about it. Because you have to, I have to believe in some sense that possibly, possibly when, when there was teaching, you know, there was teaching and, and Christ in his pre-incarnate state was teaching the, the angels certain things about his character. I have to believe in some sense That he was he was declaring them, and that's why Jesus said in John thirteen nineteen, and in John fourteen twenty nine, he said, "I tell you these things before they come to pass, that when they come to pass, you might believe." In other words, you might hear and receive and trust them. 
But I have to believe that he, when, when Christ in his pre-incarnate state was teaching things and he was going to bring in a deeper revelation uh, about himself and his character, how that at some point he was going to create man and become one himself. And I, you know, and could that have been, could that have been what caused uh, um, Lucifer at the time to take his eyes off of Christ and look at himself and all the beauty that he was created and rebelled against him? Because like sometimes we can do when uh, or all of Israel or any of us, we rebel against the plan of God because it has, our rebellion has to do with ourselves and, and, not, and not Christ. So I have to think, I'm thinking that there's a strong, <laughs> there's a strong possibility of that. So then there's the fall. We see that in Genesis, the third chapter. But then you see how Satan, right away, right away, he goes, he's going right after his hatred of Christ by luring the woman and for whatever reason, getting her away because I guess at some point, I believe, and I, I, I can't say I know for positive about these things, but he must have told these angels too that, you know, there was going to be a man and a woman and that, that there would be a fall, but that he would redeem mankind through this woman, through a woman. And, and uh, so... <laughs> You could see how he lured her away, and obviously, you know, um, whether it's, and I'm sure Adam played a part in that too, and for whatever reasons. Uh, so he lures her away, and and, uh, and then you see this whole thing, of this fall, this fall of mankind, and, and, and from that point on, we either hide in Christ you know, as we see in, in uh, uh, Genesis, the third chapter, or, or we hide in ourself and we try and cover it like Adam and Eve did. You see that uh, they heard his voice, the voice of God, Christ in his pre-incarnate state in Genesis 3, verse 8. Uh, God speaking, obviously, can never be separated from Christ and from the Holy Spirit. They're one. And so they hid themselves and, and they covered themselves and still in them covering themselves when they, had, when they faced him because uh, Christ initiated that. And when they faced him, they knew in his presence, even with what they were trying to cover themselves with, which was amounted to their own works, was they knew they were naked. And, and so when that happened, of course, then, uh, you know, we see everything that happened, but you know, we see the, the, you know, the blame game starts right away. And we've gone over that before by the grace of God in the past. But then by the time you get to verse 15, you see, you see where he, Christ is speaking. And again, we've said here before, this promise was not given to Adam and Eve in their fallen state. This promise was only given to Christ who would put on humanity and fulfill it. And he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And of course, the seed of any, any man or woman functioning under Satan, 
apart from Christ, would be his seed. And that's why we see in John 8, verse 44, when Jesus said to the religious crowd, the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. You're of his seed. And, uh, and he's a murderer, and there's no truth in him, even from the time he fell in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and starting at the 15th verse. But then it, it, there'll be enmity, a strong, settled feelings of hatred between your seed and her seed, but it, the seed of the woman, Christ come, will, will, will bruise, uh, you'll, he'll crush your head on Calvary, and uh, you'll bruise his heel, which spoke of his humanity. But when we see this, when we see these things, and the fact of what happened, and then even in, in Genesis 3.21, and Adam uh, uh, 3.21, uh, Adam also, and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And of course, this was a type of what they were going to be able to put on Christ. Of course, not on the way that we can as the church in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. We put off the old man. And then this is the type of it. You put off the old man and all his works and everything he's trying to hide, which he can't, in the presence of God, and put on the new. And so we see all of this that's happened. And then, of course, they're driven out because we see, um, we see here in the 24th verse of Genesis 3, drove the man out, placed, placed at the east of the garden, Eden, these cherubims, flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life and, and to keep them out. And then, of course, right away, we go into the whole world system. The whole world system now is established. That was one of the things I was going over uh, this morning, and uh, we, we touched on it yesterday, too. And we said, um, I think I remember uh, back, uh, as a matter of fact, I do, it was in 1977, one of the first uh, times that I, I was preaching. Uh, that's when, when God gave me the thoughts of how Israel was in bondage in Egypt, which was a type of the world under Pharaoh, type of, of Satan, how uh, they were in bondage and they couldn't do anything to help themselves. And uh, for f over 400 years, but in one night, he led them all out uh, in one night. And that's what God did in one night. He delivered a minimum of 2.4 million Jews out of uh, 400 years of captivity, bondage in the world system under Satan uh, there. So, but one thing it, it, that it did, and we can see the type even, even in uh, Israel as they wandered the, de uh, the desert in the wilderness, which was still in the world system on the way to their promised land, how that out of that 2.4 million Jews of the first generation that came out, and of course there were many, many others. But out of that first generation, we see in Numbers the 13th chapter, only two went into the promised land. There are of course many others that were second generation. But out of that whole first generation, there was Joshua and Caleb that actually went in to the promised land. And uh, that's very significant even in and of itself. But it took him a lifetime and it does with him and our growth, too, as we grow in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18, uh, 
It takes him a a lifetime to take Egypt out of Israel, to take the world out of us. And of course, that's what Jesus was teaching and saying, we can't receive anything except it come from heaven in John 3, 27, and he must increase, but I must decrease in John 3, 30. So we see in the fourth chapter, we see this whole world system. We see this whole world system in its network. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if we'll, I'll ever do it, you know, uh, but this whole world system, the world system, I think, along with many other truths that are missing in the Christian's thinking, they don't understand, and neither do we like we ought to, but we're learning, they don't understand truthfully because of a lack of preaching or bad teaching. They don't know anything about the world. And when you don't, when we don't, and when we function ignorantly or we forget God or we rebel against him, we can only function in the world just like, uh, just like others in the world. And, and when the thing about the world is it operates under deception. And we see that in, in uh, Revelation 12 and verse 9. He deceives the whole world. And he can deceive the church too. Those that are Christ. Um, unless there be a separating work that goes on. And again, um, hopefully, you know, possibly... You know, in, in our own limited way, we'd like to put out some kind of a teaching, a little booklet uh, so that Christians can have in their hands so that we can all learn and grow and, and glean from it uh, about the world system and exactly what that is. And uh, I don't necessarily want to go into it in depth right now, but just to say that that's the whole world system. And we see the whole world system in the fourth chapter of Genesis and we see how it was even started. The whole world system, we've said before, was built on the murder and rejection and hatred of Christ, even revealed in the sacrifice that Abel brought. That's what he brought. And Cain, under the influence of the enemy, him, him, just like just like Lucifer, who became Satan and just went insane because he was rejected of God because his worship had to do with self and not God. Just like Cain, under his influence, he became the first murderer of any human being in the Bible. Just like, again, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. In John 8, verse 44, in the beginning back in eternity where there was that rebellion It's brought out again in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, verses 12 to 15, and also in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, from verse 15 down to the 20s. And, uh, but the beautiful thing and truth about that is you see Satan in his five eye wells versus God in his. And what that means, and we can be so thankful, is that God will have the final say about everything, to everything, and including everyone And that final say is the only way that he ever meant, and that's, of course, through Christ. So we see the whole world system and its development, and uh, possibly we can go into it another time in, in, in detail. But we can see it clearly here, and so what happens? So we can follow it all the way through Israel, 
as his, still functioning in the world, all the way through killing, stoning the prophets, killing them. And then Christ come and the greatest manifestation, definition and realization and image of God himself, Christ comes and they kill him. They say in John 18, 40, not this man, they scream out in unison, the world, crucify him, murder him <laughs> in John 19, 15. Still Satan having his way. Crucify him. And then, oh, how he seeks <clears throat> to murder Christ in terms of a not having him taught and, and, and trying to hurt those that are his and, and so forth. But we see that all the way through. And even by the time we get to, to Stephen, the first Christian martyr, we see him in Acts, the seventh chapter, and the whole religious crowd coming against him again when he told it like it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a stiff-necked people. You always resist God. God, you resist God, the Holy Spirit. That's the whole world what it's built on. And it's built on a resistance, and that resistance takes on a very subtle form of comfort. Uh, especially, in, in, and sadly, for the Christian. Make them as comfortable as as that the enemy can and get away with as much as the Christian will allow him to get away with. And that doesn't necessarily even mean because the Christian will lack teaching. It's just that they could have it and they refuse it. But just make them just comfortable enough. You see it in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Make them comfortable enough and at ease enough to keep him, in that sense, resisting. Resisting. Resisting, constantly resisting. Until finally, obviously, um, from that point on, from Acts the 7th to the 8th chapter, no longer, no longer, even in, any, even in a little way, was he dealing with the nation of Israel at all. It's just forming a church. And of course, that began in Acts the 2nd chapter. But we see that he's completely done with the whole religious system and those that want anything to do with it. He's done. And uh, now he, the Holy Spirit goes forward and whosoever will, whosoever will, in Revelations 22, 17, may come and, and, and in, John, in John 1, verse 12, but as many as would receive him, as many as they as would receive him, as many even today, as would receive him, as many as are hungry to continue to receive the truth and go after the word and put it first and foremost above everything, he gives the power to become experientially, obviously positionally, but become the sons of God, even to them that believe. In other words, that have, it has everything to do with his name, his nature and character and essence. To the absolute exclusion of themselves. And of course the world systems designed by Satan, even for the Christians, to keep them alive in themselves under his power. And he'll use ease and comfort. And if he can't, then, then if he can't keep them deceived that way, then he'll bring in the accusations in Revelations 12, 10. And, and that's how he works. He either works by deception or accusation, and they're both based on lies in John 8, 44, because there's no truth in him. And there's no truth in the Christian 
when comfort and ease takes the place of Christ himself. It's just that simple. Our whole thinking, our whole thought process. And uh, we, we need to be severed from that. And that's what Paul, then God, Christ got a hold of Paul in the midst of his murderous planning and his absolute deception, thinking that in John 16, 2, when he would kill the body of Christ, that he was doing God a service. <laughs> and using the law to do so, something he never even inwardly knew he couldn't keep. But, he was, but the enemy kept him satisfied enough in that measure, in self-righteousness, until he met Christ in Acts the ninth chapter. Then he raised him up. And then, of course, you can see how they sought about trying to kill him and then finally getting him, the religious crowd, getting him through lies and accusations, just like they did with, with Christ, obviously, first and foremost, our precious Savior. But then Paul, his servant, in this dispensation of grace, the church age, and they finally, which was prior, they finally gave him over to the worldly evil government in Rome, right, to behead him, <laughs> to get rid of him, uh, just like they uh, did to Christ. And, of course, in John 15, 18, if they hate you, you know, they hated me first. They hated me without a cause in John 15, 25, and... Psalm 35, uh, 19, and uh, Psalm 69, verse 4, they're going to hate you without a cause. Because there's no true cause, really, outside of Christ. There's only an evil effect. And evil effects uh, either become the thing that we make our cause, or it's Christ himself, and there's no, there's no gray area in that whatsoever at, at any period of growth at any period of growth. And of course, God only holds us accountable to the, to the uh, place where we are in our growth. No question about it, but uh, he's so faithful. But we see, we see Paul, he raises him up, the height of the religious guy, the height of the religious man, the height of pride is religious pride. It's the height of it. Uh, replacing God thinking you can replace God and cause God, tell me if they don't, we don't hear this so, so much in so-called Christian teaching, which is just Christendom, that how you can use God for you. <laughs> as much as you can use God for you and think that that's fellowship, when there's no severing of the self-life, because there isn't any fellowship unless there is a severing, a separation of the self-life. So we see it clearly in the scripture. So God raises up the apostle. Then that, those that were one with him under the prince and power of the air and religiousness now hated him. Why? Because Christ is in him now. And so we see very, very clearly, and this is a beautiful part, and then we get all the way, and I just want to get to some of, my, uh, some of the thoughts that God was giving me through the word. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, we can see this. And we can even look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize. First and foremost, listen, look at the necessity. Must be sent by Christ. Period. Every thought, every word, every deed, every step, every place that we go to, we must be sent. That's first and foremost. 
right? Otherwise, we're on our own. Otherwise, we have our own plans. We have to be sent. For Christ sent me. Christ sent me. In other words, there's no longer resistance. There's just rest and receiving. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. Notice that. Or speech. Or a beautiful speech. Not with wisdom of the beautiful speech, so-called. No. Lest, notice that, lest the cross of Christ should be, a, should be made of none effect. Listen, and, and this is what God was bringing up uh, this morning to me personally in my private uh, place uh, uh, this morning, that the gospel is never, ever separated from the cross. And the enemy will do every single thing he can to separate the two. Then it becomes an issue of God serving you and me and not us serving him through being severed from the self-life and being found in Christ, worshiping and serving him instead of vice versa. And we can see the whole reversal of the order brought out again in Romans, the first chapter, and verses 18 to 32. They worship and serve the creation and themselves by doing so, rather than the creator. And then finally, God will give them up to what they won't refuse to change and never will. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Listen, that's what was hated by Cain under the influence of the enemy, even back then. There's going to be truth, but here's the truth. But it's not apart from sacrifice. It's not apart from you being severed from yourself and everything about Christ. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, not only once, but continually delivered. It is the power of God, for it is written, and of course this is Isaiah 29, 14 to 16, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Notice, where is the disputer of this world? Do you see that? Do you see where our thoughts come from when they're not Christ's thoughts? You see that? We resist God because at times, unfortunately, even as believers, we come under the disputer of this world. That is the thing that gets us away from Christ. That is the thing that separates the gospel from the cross and the cross from the gospel. There wouldn't even be such a thing without it. Never would even be so. See it? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by their own wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to believe them, to save them that believe. Here we go. For the Jews require a sign. They require God to prove something to them, for them, about them, separated from Christ. 
And the Greeks, all the other, the unsaved world, are those, the whole world, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Not popular. And if we, if, listen, it wasn't popular in Genesis, the fourth chapter, and it will never be po- popular ever at any time, not even through the millennial reign, ever will be popular, ever. It'll never be popular because of, the, because of what the world under Satan teaches what success and popularity is and how much more it means than Christ through the pride of men. Unfortunately, through our own pride as we give place to it. But we preach Christ unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks, all the, the whole rest of the world, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, right? And what is God's sign, God's wisdom? It is Christ himself. God's sign. <laughs> Come on. God's wisdom. God's power. And again, in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, wisdom and power is Christ. Is Christ himself. See? Now, when I look at Galatians, the sixth chapter, and again, this is what the teaching was, that Adam and Eve were taught by Christ, and they taught Cain and Abel about a Christ, about a sacrifice that had to take place. And again, here it is in Galatians, the sixth chapter. Okay, and here, here it is. We can even look at verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh... Notice what it says there. It says they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of because of the cross or for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but look what it says. But desire to have you circumcised so they may glory in your flesh. Oh my God. God forbid that we as Christians should ever think that that is fellowship that at any time that we get together should be anything about ourselves apart from Christ and call it fellowship. Very convicting. So as many as desire, they desire to sever you from Christ so that they can constrain you for themselves and glory in your flesh and not in Christ. Instead of you and I being constrained. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, it is the love of Christ that constrains us. And that's what the enemy wants to sever the Christian from in their experience. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus discern if one died, Christ, that why did he? Because all were dead, separated, severed from Christ, functioning in spiritual death under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the religious God of this world, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who, had, who is an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and has his ministers, his. Notice what it says. They are his ministers in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 11 because he's the prince of this world system and Jesus said, "He, I have nothing in him and he has nothing in me in John 12, 31 
and John 14, 30. So this is what it says. They constrain you. They want to sever you, Christians, from your experience. And when we function in the world, the enemy's doing that. And he'll use ease to do it. Listen, as we come close to the rapture, and I believe it speaks of it, at least in part, in Revelation 4, verse 1. Come up here, here, the church, come up here. I want to show you things which must come that don't have a thing to do with you. And that's the tribulation period. And unfortunately, some precious men that we love and we grew up with now believe that it wasn't enough that Christ accomplished. They have to go through now the tribulation period, which makes clear. But by that time, by the, we know how close we are because what is the particular age that we live in right now in, in this dispensation of grace? It's Revelations 3, 14 to 21. Ease. We have so much. We're rich. We're, we're rich. Notice what he said there. And this is, what, this is where we are. Doesn't have to be where we are individually or even where two or three are gathered in his name in uh, Matthew 18 and verse 20. No, it's very individual, and that's why two or three gathered in his name, there he is. It's his nature. It's about him. But look what it says. And unto the angel in Revelation 3.14 of the church, the local assembly of Laodicea, write these things, says the amen. He has the final say. The faithful and true witness. Anything else is a lie. The beginning of the creation of God. That creation that was always in his mind in Revelation 13, verse 8. In the mind of God. He said, I speaking to the church, that local assembly, and he still speaks it today. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would rather that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. This speaks of a fellowship, a lack of intimacy and fellowship. If there's anything missing in the church today, it's not understanding the world. Okay, not understanding the body of Christ, Christ himself, the very nature, character, and essence of God. True, no question about it, but it's what? What is it? It's not understanding. It's not understanding true intimate fellowship. Some will teach, again, here in Revelation 3, verse 16, that this, this could be that believers lose their salvation. You can't lose anything you didn't earn. And they forgot in, in John 6, 37 and 39, in John 10, 28 and 29, Christ said he would never lose anything, and him that would come to him, he would no wise cast out. And that we're in his hand, and no man can take us out. And it says no created being, really, can take us out. And once we're in, we can't take ourselves out. Because we're no longer our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Okay, but I'll spew you out of my mouth as fellowship, not loss of salvation. Sin doesn't touch relationship, but it certainly does away with intimate communion and fellowship with Christ. Because you say, he didn't say it, because you say, I am rich. Tell me, come on. Jeez. Because you say, I am rich and increase with goods. See? That's worldly teaching about what success is. And that goes right back to Genesis, the fourth chapter. You check it out with me. 
and we'll allow God to teach us all. You're increased with goods, and you have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Do you see this? Okay, he, he doesn't chasten, okay, the world. He, he, he disciplines those in love that are his. So that's why we know it's not salvation, loss of, it's intimate, deep communion and fellowship. So be zealous, therefore, and repent. Change your mind, do an about face. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Stand waiting. My God. Open the door. We've said before, it's the will. It opens on our side. He will not force his way in. I will come into you. And will sup with you, and you with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with, with my father in his throne. He that, he, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church. Singular, by the way, in the original, by the way. Many local assemblies, one church, one body, one bride. Okay? So we see how... The, the true teaching of the gospel, never separated from the cross, is not popular at all today. It's not. It isn't. Why? Because the cross of Jesus Christ, that gospel, that cross, separates and sanctifies. It separates and sanctifies because the cross and the preaching of the cross and the word severs self from Christ. It severs. It cuts it off. The flesh has nothing to do with it. Not a single thing to do with it. Right? Not one single thing to do with it. And that's what the preaching of the cross is. Okay? And that's why the preaching of it, okay, to the world under the influence of the Satan and under Satan and the Christian who function ignorantly and pride under him, okay? Gosh, what is the first thing that sometimes we think of? Does it have to do with somehow easing ourselves? Some form? But you know, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, some have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof from such what? Turn away. Where should that begin? It should begin right in ourselves should begin right there in all of us. So again, the, again, in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Notice that? I mean, you know, if you can and you should, if you can and God leads you to, you should get ba baptized. But it should, should it be the whole, one of the whole main functions of a certain denomination? I don't know. <laughs> what does it say here? For Christ sent me not to baptize, but separated from that, to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. Why? Because what? The cross of Christ would be made of none effect. I don't know. Is there any fellowship outside of a cross? The preaching of it in Hebrews 4.12? 
The sword of the Spirit, isn't that the gospel? Isn't it the gospel? Isn't it the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit takes? And that's a sword. Who do you suppose he gives that to first in spiritual warfare? The individual in Ephesians 6, 17. And even when it says in Ephesians 6, 15, it's the gospel, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. That's not saying, you know, if God sends us to do it and gives us the words, we'll preach the peace of the gospel. But that's not what it's saying there. And what it's saying there is have your own feet shod with the peace of the gospel. And that doesn't happen outside of the cross and the gospel, a severing of self. It just doesn't for any of us. For the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing and and they perish in their own foolishness, their own self-confidence. But unto us which are saved, which are truly delivered and continuously so, it's the power of God. Again, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What a gospel we have. It is the gospel of the glory of Christ Jesus. We have this treasure in these fragile clay jars. We do. We have it. And not to be severed, not to be severed, even as you shared this morning, Mike, not to be severed from that, not to be severed from it, It's to still function in what? Watch what it says. Still to function as a believer. And maybe, unfortunately, even as a man that has the gift of a pastor teacher, but still severed from his head experientially because there's something about himself that's still alive and he still desires ease and comfort for and resisting him in that area. And just gloss it over like it's nothing. But here we have, therefore, seeing... We have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of what? The hidden things of what? Shame. It says dishonesty, but shame. Is there any shame in Christ? No. Any in the flesh? That's where it all is. That's where it all is. And even using ease and comfort to cover the shame instead of resisting it. What are we doing? What am I doing? Why do I do what I do? What motivates me in my own thinking towards myself, towards my wife, towards my children, towards the church, towards other believers, towards the unsaved? God Almighty, help us. What motivates us? But have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, teaching the word, but yet never experiencing it for myself. Is there an impartation of life then? Not in the one that's doing that. It still might be in the one that does hear that and submits. And that's why Paul even said in 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we abide not faithful, He abides faithful. He cannot and will not deny himself. He will not deny Christ in you, and he will not deny Christ in me as long as we submit to him. And because the constant preaching of the cross is the constant reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
We renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling God. Oh, help us, Lord. The word of God. Who's the word of God? That's Jesus Christ. To handle him with the flesh, to try and seek to control him, to use him so that I and think that I can use him and hide in ease and comfort and resistance. How insane is that? How evil is that? Handling the word of God deceitfully. Again, who does he deceive? The whole world. How does he deceive them? How does, how does he deceive the church at Laodicea, the local assembly? Through the riches, through everything that he could give them. Listen, this is not popular at all today. It is not popular. It's the least popular thing in all of what is called Christianity today. It's not popular because it's not of the world. Jesus said, I am not of the world in John 17, verse 14, and neither are those that are mine in John 17, verse 16. Just not. Renounce the hidden things of dishonesty and, and, and not healing walking in craftiness and not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. I don't know. If there's not a true intimacy and a fellowship and a giving the self over, is there a manifestation? What am I telling? Listen, it's not what we say that teaches those that are even closest to us. It's how we behave. It's what is our first thought. It's where we go and why we even go there. <sighs> Who oh, God. I, look, I don't care. And it's by his grace. And it's by his loving chastisement in me. And it's by his truth that I do not care for the ease and comfort of the world. I don't care about it at all. And I don't want to use it as an excuse either. The shame of resistance. I certainly do not want that. I certainly don't want it. I don't want it. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Oh, God. Not giving them excuses. Not having them be one with me and my ease and my comfort, my secret shame and my secret resistance of Christ. And in that, by handling the word of God himself, Christ deceitfully. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost in resistance, lost in ease, lost in comfort, lost. And then finally in Galatians 6, and we can see this again. In Galatians 6. But God forbid, but God forbid that I should glory. But God forbid, was the church at the local assembly at Laodicea, were they glorying? Were they glorying in Christ or in their riches? In their ease? In their comfort? In their need of nothing? You know, it, it seems with me in my life that I always 
do better with Christ with less than I do with more. I tell you, honestly, it's the truth. It is so true. Always. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is severed. The world is severed unto me. And I am severed from the world. Isn't that interesting? God Almighty. And no wonder. And uh, maybe, well, we'll have to, maybe we'll share this at a later time about how we need to have our yea be yea and our nay be nay. Yes, yes is yes, and no is no, and not playing games. Not playing games, right? And just functioning in him and, and allowing him to function in us. And uh, boy, oh boy. But anyways, so those were some of my thoughts this morning. Uh, that God was giving me in, in, in areas of my life and, and loving conviction and, and, uh, and protection. Conviction doesn't necessarily mean that I am living in sin, but it can deliver me from it. It can set me up to face the temptation as a man and hold up under it and face it and not make an excuse to give in to it Again, there's no temptation that has taken us. That's even same as the world in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But he gives us the teaching of the word to sever us from self and from the world and from the enemy so that we can bear up manfully. And we can stand fast in the faith, the faith, all those teachings that, thank God, have severed us and separated us from the old so that we can bear up manfully and, and, and stand fast and that freedom that we have in Christ and, and 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and then to do all things that, in that way through love in verse 14. And just be men and women of God. In Jesus' name, amen.